This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 5 the events following the July days. The infringements of liberty in the working men's quarters lasted but a little while and were followed by accessions to revolutionary spirit, not only among the proletariat, but also in the Petrograd garrison. The coalitionists were losing all influence. The wave of Bolshevism began to spread from the urban centers to every part of the country and, despite all obstacles, penetrated into the army ranks. The new coalition government, with Kerensky at its head, had already openly embarked upon a policy of repression. The ministry had restored the death penalty in the army. Our papers were suppressed and our agitators were arrested, but this only increased our influence. In spite of all the obstacles involved in the new elections for the Petrograd Soviet, the distribution of power in it had become so changed that on certain important questions we already commanded a majority vote. The same was the case in the Moscow Soviet. At that time, I, together with many others, was imprisoned at Kresti, having been arrested for instigating and organizing the armed revolt of July the 3rd to the 5th in collusion with the German authorities and with the object of furthering the military ends of the Hohenzollerns. The famous prosecutor of the Tsarist regime, Alexandrov, who had prosecuted numerous revolutionists, was now entrusted with the task of protecting the public from the counter-revolutionary Bolsheviki. Under the old regime, the inmates of prisons used to be divided into political prisoners and criminals. Now a new terminology was established, criminals and Bolsheviks. Great perplexity reigned among the imprisoned soldiers. The boys came from the country and had previously taken no part in political life. They thought that the revolution had set them free, once and for all. Hence they viewed with amazement their door locks and grated windows. While taking their exercise in the prison yard, they would always ask me what all this meant and how it would end. I comforted them with the hope of our ultimate victory. Towards the end of August occurred the revolt of Kornilov. This was the immediate result of the mobilization of the counter-revolutionary forces to which a forceful impulse had been imparted by the attack of July the 18th. At the celebrated Moscow Congress, which took place in the middle of August, Kerensky attempted to take a middle ground between the propertied elements and the democracy of the small bourgeoisie. The maximalists were on the whole considered as standing beyond the bounds of the legal. Kerensky threatened them with blood and iron, which met with vehement applause from the propertied half of the gathering and treacherous silence on the part of the bourgeois democracy. But the hysterical outcries and threats of Kerensky did not satisfy the chiefs of the counter-revolutionary interests. They had only too clearly observed the revolutionary tide flooding every position of the country, among the working class, in the villages, in the army, and they considered it imperative to adopt without delay the most extreme measures to curb the masses. 
After reaching an understanding with the property-owning bourgeoisie, who saw in him their hero, Kornilov took it upon himself to accomplish this hazardous task. Kerensky, Savinkov, Filonenko, and other socialist revolutionists of the government or semi-government class participated in this conspiracy, but each and every one of them, at a certain stage of the altering circumstances, betrayed Kornilov, for they knew that in the case of his defeat, they would turn out to have been on the wrong side of the fence. We lived through the events connected with Kornilov while we were in jail and followed them in the newspapers. The unhindered delivery of newspapers was the only important respect in which the jails of Kerensky differed from those of the old regime. The Cossack general's adventure miscarried. Six months of revolution had created in the consciousness of the masses and in their organization a sufficient resistance against an open counter-revolutionary attack. The consilable Soviet parties were terribly frightened at the prospect of the possible results of the Kornilov conspiracy, which threatened to sweep away not only the maximalists, but also the whole revolution, together with its governing parties. The social revolutionists and the minimalists proceeded to legalize the maximalists. This, to be sure, only retrospectively and only halfway, inasmuch as they scented possible dangers in the future. The very same Kronstadt sailors, whom they had dubbed burglars and counter-revolutionists in the days following the July uprising, were summoned during the Kornilov danger to Petrograd for the defense of the revolution. They came without a murmur, without a word of reproach, without recalling the past, and occupied the most responsible posts. I had the fullest right to recall to Seratelli these words which I had addressed to him in May, when he was occupied in persecuting the Kronstadt sailors. When a counter-revolutionary general attempts to throw the noose around the neck of the revolution, the cadets will grease the rope with soap, while the Kronstadt sailors will come to fight and die together with us. The Soviet organizations had revealed everywhere, in the rear and at the front, their vitality and their power in the struggle with the Kornilov uprising. In almost no instance did things ever come to a military conflict. The revolutionary masses ground into nothing the general's conspiracy, just as the moderates in July found no soldiers among the Petrograd garrison to fight against us, so now Kornilov found no soldiers on the whole front to fight against the revolution. He had acted by virtue of a delusion, and the words of our propaganda easily destroyed his designs. According to information in the newspapers, I had expected a more rapid unfolding of subsequent events in the direction of the passing of the power into the hands of the Soviets. The growth of the influence and power of the maximalists became indubitable and had gained an irresistible momentum. The maximalists had warned against the coalition, against the attack of the 18th of July. They predicted the Kornilov affair. The masses of the people became convinced by experience that we were right. During the most terrifying moments of the Kornilov conspiracy, when the Caucasian division was approaching Petrograd, the Petrograd Soviet was arming the working men with the extorted consent of the authorities. 
Army divisions which had been brought up against us had long since achieved their successful rebirth in the stimulating atmosphere of Petrograd and were now altogether on our side. The Kornilov uprising was destined to open definitely the eyes of the army to the inadmissibility of any continued policy of conciliation with the bourgeois counter-revolution. Hence it was possible to expect that the crushing of the Kornilov uprising would prove to be only an introduction to an intermediate, aggressive action on the part of the revolutionary forces under the leadership of our party for the purpose of seizing sole power. But events unfolded more slowly. With all the tension of their revolutionary feeling, the masses had become more cautious after the bitter lesson of the July days, and renounced all isolated demonstrations, awaiting a direct instruction and direction from above. And also, among the leadership of our party there developed a watchful waiting policy. Under these circumstances, the liquidation of the Kornilov adventure, irrespective of the profound regrouping of forces to our advantage, did not bring about any immediate political changes. End of chapter 5